You're listening to audio from City Light South Church. If you'd like to check out more resources and find ways to get involved, go to citylightsouth.org.au. So we're continuing in Genesis, uh, reading chapter 16 today, uh, reading from CSB. Abram's wife, Sarai, had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, Since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan ten years. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. Abram replied to Sarai, Here your slave is in your hands. Do whatever you want with her. Then Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She replied, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring and they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her, you have conceived and will have a son. You will name him Ishmael. The Lord has heard your cry of affliction. This man will be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. He will settle near all his relatives. So she named the Lord who spoke to her, You are Elroy, for she said, In this place have I actually seen the one who sees me? That is why the well is called Beelahiroi. It is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave birth to Abram's son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are active and present with your people, that you are moving in, in us. And Lord, we just pray that we would be attentive by your spirit today to hear the words that um, you have spoken. Uh, Would you be with Tyler as he proclaims truth to us and would it uh, affect and change our hearts and change the way that we live and lead us to glorify you, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Josh. All right. Um, The topic for this morning that we're going to look at from this chapter that we've just read is the topic of patience. How many of you would consider yourselves a patient person. Anyone? A few of you? Okay. Um, I would not. I I used to think that I was patient. Um, And then I got a car. And then a few few years after that, well, more than a few years after that, I had kids. And I learned that I'm not as patient as I thought I was when I was a kid. So um, sometimes I get impatient because of a particular situation. Sometimes I get impatient because of People. 
And other times I get surprised by the impatience of other people. Um, have you ever been impatient with someone else's impatience? It happens. Um, the philosopher turned actor Will Ferrell once gave some pretty solid advice to couples um, looking to get married. He said, before you marry a person, you should first make them use a computer with really slow internet to see who they really are. <laughs> I'm glad that Katrina did not do that uh, to me. So she just rolled the dice and went with it. Um, we laugh about our own impatience or irritability um, in certain situations. Sometimes um, we can laugh about it in other situations, but there are times more than we realize when impatience is actually really destructive. It's, it's, it's dangerous to ourselves and to, to other people. And we're going to see a stunning example of this in, in Genesis 16. It's impatience that actually leads to violence against a vulnerable person. Sometimes we, uh, we brush off impatience as one of what Jerry Bridges calls the respectable sins. Respectable sins are the kind that you can, you can sort of do in the car on the way to church and still walk in the door with a smile on your face. Because it's not, we don't really consider it that serious. We consider it just sort of the price of being human. Um, things like irritability, impatience, um, fall in this category of respectable sins. But sometimes impatience can actually be deadly. Think about the impatience of a driver who is so frustrated that he, well, I'm going to say he, could be she, but it's probably he, um, decides to overtake in the double white line. I mean, that impatience, that split second of impatience can actually lead to, to death and, or serious injury. And where does it start? It, it, it doesn't just start because I was in, the, in a real frustrating situation. It starts in my heart. It starts in the heart. Um, and so we need to understand what's going on in our own hearts to examine ourselves to prevent perhaps what could be really dangerous to ourselves or other people. Um, the question that we ask in our hearts that ends up with impatience is this question of who's actually in charge of the universe? Who's actually in control? Is it, is it me or is it someone or something else that I can't control? In the episode today, we're going to take a, a closer look at a woman named Sarai, Abram's wife, and her impatience, and Abram's going along with her impatience. Um, and this leads to an episode of very serious um, violence, domestic violence, um, against a vulnerable woman. And uh, we'll see then, after that, what is the antidote to the violence that it leads to. So if you're following along in Genesis chapter 16, just so you can follow along um, in your, on your device, we're just going to be going through the text. Um, but the first thing I want you to say, oh, I want to say is what I've been saying all along, is that you've got to learn to be patient. You've got to learn to be patient before you hurt yourself or someone else. Um, there are days and seasons of life where, where our Christian life, the faith journey that we've been talking about, it feels a little bit like we're on a long car trip. And not an interesting one either. Like we're driving across the Nullarbor Plain. There's just the, nothing... It's just, it's just the same scenery for hours upon hours. The horizon ahead is just giving way to more of the same. These seasons of waiting. I don't know what it is that you have had to wait for in, in your life. 
If you've been alive long enough, you've probably had to wait, and not just for uh, you know, a slow driver to move out of the way, but you wait for things like healing. From, uh, from emotional or physical sickness. You wait for justice to be done if you've been sinned against. You, you might be waiting for marriage or waiting to fall pregnant. Um, many things that we wait for. We wait for progress in our own growth and maturity. And these, this waiting can be quite painful. The Christian life is a life of waiting and it's actually by design. I want you to listen to Paul. This is from Romans chapter 8. He says this. He says, not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit, that's, that's us if you're, if you're a Christian, as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. What's he saying? He's saying there's the, the, the kind of the focus of our hope, the center of our hope as Christians is something that we're waiting for, something we're learning to long for, something we don't yet have, and that is to be fully in the presence of God for eternity. It's something future. He said we, if, if you already have everything that you're going to have, if you have all of the blessing now, then you don't know what hope is. The Christian life is a life of hope, which means it's a life of waiting with patience. It's a life of asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? On repeat. And sometimes with tears. Abram and Sarai were on this journey uh, of waiting. And we find out here in Genesis 16, it's been 10 years, 10 years already since God first made that promise and called Abram to leave everything, leave his family and move to a new land that I will give you and I will make you a blessing and I will make your name great and all the nations will be blessed through you. That was Genesis 12. It's already been 10 years. And here Abram is with his family. He's got no kids still and no land that's actually his own. He's still waiting. Sarai's wife is well past the age of childbearing. And she's going to decide right here to do what we often do in seasons of waiting, and that is to take a shortcut. She's going to come up with her own idea to speed things up. Why wait for what's impossible? And it's clearly impossible. She says, we're going to do it my way. In verse 2, she does acknowledge the sovereignty of God. She says, God is the one who has, he said, she says, since the Lord prevented me from being bearing children, um, and then she goes on and announces her own plan. God has this plan. I have this plan. My plan is better than God's plan. That's what she's saying in these words. She announces her plan to her husband. She says, go sleep with my slave, and maybe through her, I can build a family. She says, Abram then agrees to her plan. Now, the alarm bells should be going off there if you followed along with us in Genesis. What does this bring to mind, Sarah's, Sarai's uh, plan here? Genesis 3, you know, Eve, after a long time of obeying God and never really considering what it would look like to disobey God, she listens to the serpent and decides in that moment that her plan and her wisdom and her judgment is better than God's plan and God's judgment. She thinks, she believes that she knows how to make herself flourish 
and her husband flourish more than God knows. And that's the same thing we see with Sarai. Genesis chapter 11, you see not just a husband and wife, but you see a whole community of people who believe that they know how to thrive and flourish better than God knows how to make them thrive and flourish. And so they build this tower to heaven to make a name for themselves. And what happens when Eve makes that fatal decision? What happens when that community makes that fatal decision? Disaster. Because God knew better than them. So we know here that this is going to end in disaster. We know that Sarai's plan is not going to go well. What could have happened here? What should have happened here? I mean, Sarai, she knows, she says, it was the Lord who prevented me from being pregnant. He is the one that's in charge. He's brought me through this season of waiting. He hasn't brought his promise to bear yet. And so at that point, what she could have done is she could have just cried out to God in prayer and said, God, how long? I can't wait anymore. There, you read the Psalms. Psalm after Psalm are, is, is that very language. It's, it's, it's men and women who believed God's word, but yet didn't realize, didn't have the fruit of the blessing yet. They were waiting and they're crying out to God. And that's exactly where a season of waiting is meant to take us. But her impatience here, Sarai's impatience takes over. And, and maybe there's more going on here than we know. I don't want to be too hard on her because you remember back in chapter 12, remember what happened to her husband when they go to Egypt? He, he, he just throws her under the bus. He, he sells her to a, a foreign king. He's had this plan. He's hatched a plan, and now it's her turn to hatch a plan. And I'm not excusing what she did, but it's often the case that someone who's a survivor of abuse can fall into the trap of thinking that abuse of others is the way out. You've got to trust your own instincts because no one else is worth trusting. Why wait on God when he is the one who allowed her to go through what she went through? One, one of the reasons that we say that patience is a virtue why waiting on God is always the best decision is that when we rush to take things into our own hands, when we chart a path to our own happiness or heal our own wounds, follow our own dreams, is that along the way we, we end up shutting our eyes to the ways that our actions hurt other people. Hagar, Sarai's slave, from her perspective, is, is not really a, a, a human being with equal status and dignity with her. She is a means to an end. She's a tool. It's kind of like the slow driver in the car in front of you. you that person, that's not a human being, that is an obstacle. The person who talks all the time in your life and never asks you how you're going, how frustrating that person can be, they're an obstacle to your happiness. We get impatient and we push them out of the way when we don't see them as someone bearing the image of God. Verse three, Abram takes Hagar, his wife's servant, as a second wife. And at this stage, polygamy, having more than one wife, is not against the law. But in Genesis, every single time it happens, it does not end up good. 
We're going to see a few more examples. It always leads to loads of problems. And these problems come quickly in Abram's household. Because as soon as Hagar falls pregnant by Abram, she begins to act like a rival to her mistress, to Sarai. I, we don't exactly know what she did. Maybe she made some, you know, uncaring or taunting remarks. Sarai, but whatever happens, she's furious. Um, it's another recall of Genesis 3. She says these words to her husband. She says, you are responsible for my suffering. Shifts the blame to him, even though it was her plan to begin with. Remember how Adam was when he talked to God, when God confronted him? It's the woman who you gave me. He blames God for his sin. Sarai does the same. So um, Abram sort of gets out of the way. He also handballs the situation back to his wife, says, well, you do whatever you want with her. She belongs to you. She's your property. So you, you do whatever you want. And that's what she does. It says that in the, there that she mistreats Hagar, her servant, so badly that Hagar has to run away. So what's the implication there? This is not a, this is not a you know, she speaks a little bit abruptly. This is a, a word for abuse, probably physical abuse, uh, a woman who's pregnant. It's very serious what's, what the Bible's describing here. Um, She's abused by her mistress, who herself was a survivor of abuse. And this is, the, this is the spiral of sin that we know that only the gospel can break. What started as run-of-the-mill impatience is, is now turned into criminal behavior. The famous uh, English Puritan, John Owen, he once was reflecting on Romans chapter 8, verse 13. And he said this, he said, be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Be killing sin in your life, even the respectable ones, the ones that we can sort of sweep under the carpet. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. You know, we, we sometimes, you may have heard a sermon, of, you know, using that line, but we're often thinking of things like lust and anger, things that are kind of loud and out there. But things like impatience can be just as deadly. Because they come from, it comes from the same place. It comes from the same lack of faith. So that when you are disrespected by someone that should respect you, eventually that irritability can, will blossom into full-blown anger and possibly even violence if it's not dealt with and crushed. So because unless Sarai deals with what's going on in her heart here, it's going to destroy not only Hagar, her servant, it's going to destroy her as well. So we, I want to encourage you to think about those respectable sins, those things that we can hide and pretend like, oh, it's no big deal, to be taking those things seriously, asking the Lord for his grace, because you've got to kill it before it kills you. What does it look like, though, to trust God in these seasons of waiting? What does it look like? The ones that, you know, like the one that Sarai faced, the one that Hagar faced, like the one that some of you are facing right now. What does it look like to be patient in these seasons in, or even in the mundane moments of life? If I could tell you how many times while I was preparing this sermon, I was interrupted and I got really annoyed. <laughs> I make little hash marks of like my 
prison wall there, but um, there's a lot of times. Um, and how I can, you know, even in the everyday stuff of life, I get frustrated so easily with some of the very people I would lay my life down for. The rest of Genesis 16, there's a couple of principles here for killing deadly impatience and, or, or learning patience. I want to show you these. So starting from verse 7 and continuing on. And, and here's, here's basically what I want to say just for the rest of our time together. Patience means trusting in the God who sees you. Patience means trusting in the God who sees you. And, and, and so the first thing we've got to do is we've got to understand that the grace of God is a gift that comes to you. And the grace of God is what will heal your impatience, will help you kill your impatience, is the grace of God. It melts it away. And it melts away impatience and crustiness and irritability. And you might be thinking, but I can't control the grace of God. It comes to me when it comes to me. It's, it's not up to me. And you'd be right. But the story of Hagar underscores something that Paul does in Acts chapter 17. Maybe you know these words. This is, he was speaking in Athens, and he says to the non-believers there, he says, from one man, God has made every nationality to live over the whole earth, and he has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. And he did this for a reason. So they might seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And it's interesting here, the story of Hagar, we know that she's from Egypt, that Abram and Sarai, or she acquired her as a slave in her household when they were in Egypt. And as soon as she gets in trouble, Hagar, when she's being abused by her mistress, she runs away. And where does she run? She runs to a place called Shur, in verse 7, which is on the way, it's on the highway, back to Egypt. She's, she's running home, the only place that she knows that she can be safe, perhaps. But see, God had caused Hagar to be born there in Egypt and, and, and to run back there when she suffers so that in verse 7, this divine moment, an angel shows up and speaks to her by a spring in the wilderness where perhaps she had sat down from exhaustion. Why does he do that? Why does, he, why does God send his angel to meet her there? To show her his grace. So that, as Paul said, that she would reach out and know him and find him and experience that grace because he has never been far from her. Even in her lowest moment, he is always close to the vulnerable and the brokenhearted. Oh, how close is he? Well, when the angel appears in verse 8, notice, the angel calls her by her name. Calls her by her name. Uh, I read one commentator who said that this is actually the only time in the Bible where an angel or a divine being calls a woman by her name. It's actually not only is it the only time in the Bible, but it's the only time in all of ancient literature where a divine character calls a woman by name. It's a sign of intimate knowledge, intimate concern, and special grace that he's pouring out on Hagar. He, the angel asks, what, she's, what is she on about? And, and Hagar tells him, you know, I've just run away from my mistress, which of course he knows. And the scene, there's a, there's a little parallel, I think, 
in this story and the story in John chapter 8 where, where Jesus speaks to the woman who had been caught in adultery. And after Jesus shames her accusers into leaving, he, he says to her, you're not condemned. Even though the law says she should have been, Jesus says, you're not condemned, which, which is what we call grace. And just as she receives that grace, Jesus says, go. And from now on, don't sin anymore. God's grace and mercy is on Hagar. He knows her name. He sees her plight. He's for her. And then he says in verse 9 this. He says, go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. Now, you might think, man, that's going to take a lot of grace to go back to this woman who has abused her. It's a very hard gig. And so I, wanna, I, don't, wanna, I don't wanna skirt over that because I, I, I don't wanna misspeak here. This is, this is really important. Um, you might be wondering what this verse is. When, when the angel commands her to go back to her abuser, is that a biblical principle? Is that something that the Bible says in, when we find ourselves or somebody you know and love finds themselves in a situation of abuse? Does the Bible say you must go back? You must forgive? And the answer to that is no. This is not laying down a principle. And, and let me explain what I mean. Um, the Bible is not saying here or anywhere else that always the, the right answer is to return to someone who is behaving abusively. Um, abuse of any kind, especially in a marriage relationship, is a heinous evil. And, and, and just like God here sees the affliction of Hagar, who has suffered abuse at the hands of someone more powerful than her, even though that person was chosen by God to be the mother of his people, God is on Hagar's side here. He sends her back to Sarai, but he sends her back with his protection. But now what about today? How do we apply this particular verse to us today? Um, and this is one place where we have to be really, really careful with the Bible. Whenever you read a, a narrative, which is a story, a historical story of events that happened, you have to, we have to ask, is this a description of what happened that we're just supposed to go, okay, that, that happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, or is it a prescription? In other words, we read that a character, a man of faith or a woman of faith does something and we should do likewise. Kind of like the, the story of the um, Good Samaritan, go and do likewise. Um, is it a description or is it a prescription? Just because God commands something, though, of one person in Scripture does not necessarily mean that he's commanding the same thing of you or of us. We have to understand in context. We need help, we need wisdom. And so I wanna argue, and I wanna to explain to you why this command to Hagar is unique for Hagar. It's not meant for everyone. Um, the, re the, the uniqueness is this. Abram and Sarai, who are the main characters in this section of Genesis, they are the ones who have the promise of God's blessing. God told them all the nations would be blessed through them. So Hagar, running away from this couple, even the couple that had abused her, she is running away from the blessing of God. You cannot say that about any other person except Jesus. You, you can't say that about any other person. They are unique in this moment in history. 
So let's say that there's a person that you know who's been mis being mistreated or abused by another Christian. Perhaps it's their spouse, a relative, a boss. In that case, we do not say, because that person is a Christian, um, that you should go back and submit to that person. Because that person is not Abram and Sarai. The blessing that is given to Abram is given collectively to the church, not to any one individual. And so what we say to someone who is being abused in such a way is not return to your abuser. It is come to your family and let us bear your burdens. Let us weep with you. Let us help you. Let us give you what you need. Let us work, walk with you and shelter you and look after you. And we will do whatever we can to call the abuser to face consequences with the legal system and before the elders of the church. That is, that is absolutely what we learned from this situation. And I wish, you know, this wasn't the case. I wish we didn't ever even have to address this. But statistics tell me that some of you listening to this have suffered or are right now suffering some kind of abuse. Um, just a few months ago, the Anglican Church in Australia released a study that they had done that showed that churchgoers were more likely to have been in an abusive relationship. And even worse, nine out of 10 victims of domestic violence did not seek help from the church. Why? Well, some of them thought that no one would believe them. Others thought that the Bible teaches that the only correct way to respond to abuse is to forgive and to go back and say nothing. And I want to say this to you as a pastor of a church that teaches what we call the complementary roles of men and women in the home, where husbands are called to love and lead their wives as Christ sacrificially loves and leads the church. Let me, let me be clear, for a, for a husband ever to coerce or be violent towards his wife is to deny that he knows Christ. 1 Peter 3, the text that encourages Christian wives to submit to and model Jesus to their non-Christian husbands, also says to Christian husbands to treat their wives with such honor and respect as co-heirs of the promises that if you don't, God will not listen to your prayers. It's that serious. Any kind of harsh treatment within a marriage or in any relationship is a gross violation of the law of Christ. And we as a church stand ready to help anyone who needs to get out of an abusive situation or a dangerous situation, whatever we can. So if that's you or someone you know and you're listening to this, please come speak to me or speak to any of us, speak to Katrina or anyone in your DG that you know and trust. And we will pray with you and help you in whatever way we can. Not in spite of the Bible, but because of it. The, the way that God treats Hagar in the story is nothing like the way Abram and Sarai were treating her as a means to an end. God sees her and he honors her. He commissions his angel to bless her in the same way he blessed Abram. She's going to have countless descendants come from a son that she's about to have. It's too many to count. Her son will be a blessing to her. He's not the covenant child. He says, you know, the angel says he'll be a wild man, a fighter, 
But for Hagar, in that moment, he's a gift of God's grace to her. God sees her, and he sees you. God's grace, you know, when we see it, it melts away impatience and crustiness. That's what Sarai couldn't see before. She had hatched this whole plan without any vision of God's grace. She didn't believe that he was gracious. She didn't believe that he sees her and sees her pain and her waiting and her suffering. Now, the second thing after the grace of God that comes to us as a gift, the second thing that helps us kill off impatience is to then spend time studying God's grace and celebrating it. That we do have control over. God's grace itself has an effect, and then our response to God's grace has an effect. And look at the way that Hagar worships here. It says, so she named the Lord who spoke to her. Isn't that a funny story? She named the Lord, or the God, who spoke to her. You are El Roy. For she said, in this place, have I actually seen the one who sees me? I said before, this is the only time that an angelic being in the Bible calls a woman by her name. This is also the only time that a woman um, creates a name for God in all the Bible. Here, Hagar calls him the seeing one. It's a beautiful act of worship in faith. And this is really how we come to kill any sin. This is how our faith grows and matures. We receive the grace of God almost from out of the blue. And then we respond to his grace with gratitude and joy. And it wells up within us, like in almost such a way that we can't help but live differently. And I, you know, I don't know about you, but I see more of myself in the scheming and impatience and cruelty even of Sarai than I do in the gratitude and trust of Hagar in this story. I, I, I want to say to Sarai, I want to say to me, can you not see how able and willing God is to, to bless, to fulfill his promises? Can you not just slow down and wait for him and trust and have joy and freedom? So you don't have to get impatience. Impatience is a burden. And you don't have to carry it. You can lay it down and have joy because we serve and we worship and we know a good and a gracious king who sees us and knows us by name and knows exactly what we need. The more we can learn to just breathe out and lay it down, the more we learn to be patient in the same way that he's so patient with us. You know, there's something familiar in this text about an angel being sent to a woman who's pregnant and vulnerable and telling her that you have a baby, the baby that's growing inside of you is one day going to be great. Ishmael, Hagar's son, was great in the sense that he was untamable. He was wild and free. But thousands of years later, another angel would come to another woman with another announcement that she would give birth to a son that would be even greater the son of the Most High. A king come to rescue the people of Abraham and fulfill the ancient promise to him once and for all. Abraham had to wait 20 years for the son of promise to be born, but Abraham's children waited 2,000 years for Jesus, the son of God, to be born. And along the way, they learned to trust and obey. They learned to hear and believe the voice of God. They learned to hope for what they didn't yet have. They learned patience, the posture of hope. 
the stubborn belief that God is still there, that he does see, that he is making all things new so we can endure the really hard things in life. We can endure even those little minor annoying things in life. So let's encourage each other to lay down the burden of impatience and to wait on him with hope. Because no one who waits on the Lord will ever be disappointed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness and grace to us. Thank you that you see us. Thank you that you know our names, you know our pain, you know our joy, you know our hopes and dreams. You know us better than we know ourselves. And Lord, even though you see the depths of our sin and depravity, God, you still come to us with grace upon grace. Grace that caused you to send your only son, Lord, to be broken and poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we would never be able to be rid of sin and be free from sin without your grace, without your initiative and your intervention and your work. And so we look to you on the cross saying, it is finished, and we believe that that is true. That the wrath that we deserved was removed from us and placed upon Jesus. But may we believe that and may we have the life and the joy that comes from believing that that is true. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another message from City Light South Church. You can find out more about our church and connect with us at citylightsouth.org.au.